answering the difficult and critical questions youth may face that relate to Mormon culture and teachings. This is the Rise Up Podcast, produced by Fair Mormon. In this episode of Rise Up, we have a special guest that we're going to be talking to and getting to know. His name is Rod Olson, and uh, I first was introduced to Rod at a fireside that was put on in Salt Lake City uh, in conjunction with uh, North Star LDS, an organization that provides solutions and information for those uh, experiencing or supporting those that are experiencing same-sex attraction or homosexuality. And so Rod's story is is interesting and unique, and we want to get to kind of know that story and, and know his history and how he was able to uh, deal with the various challenges that came up in his life. So Rod, thank you for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And so let's kind of start off, um, at least with the the, the relevant story, um, you, you, I guess the main theme... Would you call it the main theme of your life story has to do with same-sex attraction or gay, however you wish to identify, I guess? Uh, the main theme. So as far as... Um, it's hard uh, to say that, isn't it? Like, yeah, it, well, because well, I don't... Like, I, I think... Um, I, so I use the term gay, uh, so I don't... Same-sex attraction for me is a is an odd term. Okay. And so... Um, but you and, know what's implied with totally, it. Totally, totally. So, okay. so everybody, I mean, I guess, you know, just... Think same you know, SSA or same sex attraction or whatever when I say gay. Cause, but why do you say that? Let's let's go okay. into that first off. One of the reasons why is so I am I've lived most of my life either in California or in New York City or or did or other parts of the world or, and some a little bit in Europe. How I distinguish between the two is having not had a lot of experience with the LDS sort of perspective or support groups for homosexual men. There are certain terms, and I've gone through certain therapies. One's called reparative therapy, which sure. people have probably heard of. And in that, um, they they speak of those that term, but um, and it sort of to me has a negative connotation in the okay. sense where the same sex attraction. Yeah, same sure. like to say SSA um, or like the lifestyle or all these 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 are odd terms because I don't think it builds any bridges. Okay. Um, and though it may be unique and though it might be important for a person to, to speak in, in that terminology, if we are as a people and as a church are to reach out and to go beyond sort of the choir, so to speak, and to, to talk to our friends and, and to know that there are people looking for the truth and to, um, to have some of the things that we have, sometimes we have to just step back and realize that, um, we are the same. And so I think, by introducing new vocabulary that is not negative in anybody else's perspective, but just for, let's say, 3% of a 15 million member church. Yeah. Um, I think all of a sudden it's like, okay, so we're weird, and now we're weirder, and we're weirdest. You know, all of a sudden. So also just to kind of be normal, just, I think that helps us, because I think sometimes we can get a little, myself included, like a little condescending, like, oh, I have the gospel, I have this, and this, is, and you don't, and you're not saying the right things. Got it. Um, so that's why. Well, the terms are important in, in some respects because they can build a bridge. They can put up roadblocks. But so for the sake of our conversation, we'll just call it gay, because that's... That's Wait, why you feel comfortable, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Okay. So uh, from what I remember of your story, there's quite a lot to it. But so let's go back 
to about the time when you were about 10 years old, I think is where you first say, this is where I identify a time in my life, a period in my life where you can say, I recognize that I have, that I'm gay. Yes. So what happened was I somehow just sort of kind of just always knew it. And I kind of also felt that it was wrong. Um, So I made an appointment with my bishop at the time. And um, I think um, since I'm not that young uh, at the time, there was a, if I can remember, we weren't in the three block, three hour block. So oh, okay. I think we had the separate blocks, I think. And um, but but so in between one of the the meetings, um, the bishop had to go visit a widow. So he says, "Hey, why don't you jump in the car with me and 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 ask you know, or, or let's talk about what you want to." Um, let's discuss the things that you wanted to talk about. And so I just told him, I told him, uh, I said, I think I'm gay. And, um, so this was what I was 10. So this this is is 1980s. Um, yeah. So this is, no, this is, uh, seven, I'm 49. So this is 1970, uh, I guess five or 76. And he really, I can tell he was surprised and shocked. Um, he, cause he just didn't know what to say. And I, at the time, too, my 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 parents had divorced, um, and so my mother's a single mother with, um, and uh, and so I think he probably I don't think he just knew what to say, and all he told me was to uh, um, just watch how I dress and um, your, your clothing, my clothing, right? Okay. Yeah, and maybe also too because my brother was a pretty successful model at the time, so maybe I don't know if that was I, I'm not sure how he cor- correlated <laughs> it, but I was trying to fit it together. And I just thought, oh, okay. As a ten-year-old, you just take it, right? All right, okay. So, yeah, and and so I didn't know. Yeah, so I didn't know what. Um, that was it for. That was the last time I sort of spoke to a bishop, sort of in my youth. Okay, and it was just something that was in the back of my mind. I never really thought of it as just who I was. Like being gay was that was it. It's um, not your identity at exactly. That point. It was just part of me, and I think also what helped me with that is my father and. And anyone on his side of the family are not members of the church. My great grandmother migrated from Italy to San Francisco in 1906, right after the earthquake. And so, um, and Italian family from, uh, if you're familiar with San Francisco, North Beach, and then they just migrated a little bit over into the city. And so they have always, they had always lived in San Francisco, always, and they're Italian Catholics. And so I had a whole side of the family that were not members of the church. And, um, uh, did all the things that you know LDS people do not do, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, uh, and uh, and they were good, loving people. Some of the most loving people, and so I, so I never really differentiated between members of the church were better, or that their lives were happier, or any of that sort of thing. Because in San Francisco, all my family were not members of the church, gotcha. and they seemed to be happy, and and there wasn't too drastic difference. Actually, sometimes the stuff that was going on in my immediate family was kind of worse than the stuff that was going on in non-member, non-member families. So. Yeah. So you're, you, you then kind of live your life. You're, are you still in San Francisco at this time? Or? Oh, yeah, so I mean, so this is, that's Sacramento. That's Sacramento. That's Sacramento. Okay. Yeah. So at some point, you kind of go along through your high school life, and and this just this isn't an issue. It's, well, it's I mean it's an issue. I know I'm gay, so so that's a little problem. Knowing it and it being a problem are two different things, right? I mean, having it be an, something that affects you on a day to day basis. Yeah, I mean, and I mean there were obviously there were certain issues in the sense where or certain um, reminders like I, I didn't play sports, so that was so there was certain aspects of my life that also sort of emphasized it, sized it, or um, I knew in my head I was acutely aware. Okay. Because and so as my friends started dating girls and those sort of things, I just had no interest. Um, I didn't have any interest in sports. I didn't really know how to play. Um, 
I didn't even know the rules because I didn't really have anybody to teach me. And so um, music was a big deal for me. And so that's sort of where I went in that direction. And and so I sort of became sort of pretentious and says, well, yeah, you guys can do all this stuff, but I've already done, you know, TV commercials and I'm, yeah. you know, so, so I had to set up sort of these different frameworks to make me feel a little bit better. But within that circle of friends, sort of in the musical world, which was not in school or that sort of stuff, I was, um, I found a great um, subset of friends, which I have many friends today that are still, that I've known since I've been nine. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, so that, so that sort of offset. Yeah. And then years pass, and you find out that you're going to go on a mission. You make that decision. How does that decision come forward, though? Because, again, you seem to be following an interesting path that isn't exactly the, the script, right? It isn't the Mormon script. Yeah, but um, but but it sort of was. I mean, I on it's sort of interesting— uh, the, also, the the type of I would say I'm sort of very conservative conservative in my thought process, and so or in okay. my 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 thinking. So I really love church history. I live really loved, I guess um, what we call now apologetics. Um, when I was that young, so when I was a kid, when at 10, 11, 12, I would go home after church and read the Mormon doctrine. I mean, the, oh, okay. the, you know, and, and I just read all of that stuff. I love Nibley, I love Skousen, and um, and I was kind of a geek in that sort of way. And so I just always felt that um, I didn't, at the time, I just didn't pay that much attention that w- what I was feeling and what was going on was a sin at all. So, um, you know, when the bishop asked me questions and that sort of stuff, I didn't think there was anything I really had to divulge because I wasn't. I wasn't, doing yeah, I wasn't doing anything. So um, I just went on a mission. Yeah, and I just don't think, um, and, and in retrospect, um, yeah, I just didn't give it any thought, that much thought. Yeah. And so, um, and there was, you know, I think th- the great thing about a mission for for anyone is, and if they're struggling with any type of, mm, let's say, oddity that's not that doesn't seem to fit the mold within the church, the mission, um, the mission field is the perfect place to sort of um, try to gain some better understanding of yourself because you're constantly serving other people yeah. and you're learning about the gospel. And within sort of that framework, you have all of your friends and everybody else here, um, the mission president, the uh, all the other missionaries, all your companions and whatnot, are all, they all have the same goal. So, the, so these sort of things just don't come up. And you, for me, um, I just saw how we all were more alike than, and so I wasn't so awkward. And then, so instead of being made fun of that, I couldn't play basketball, I would just tell my companions, like, you know, so on, let's say, P-Day, everybody would go play basketball, and I would just go, well, you know, I'm going to play the organ or something like that. They go, come on, come on. I'm like, I can't play, you know, so, yeah. but, and that was sort of it. And so I sort of all of a sudden realized that I wasn't, that there was nothing wrong with me because I, and, and no one made me feel that way versus kind of at school or sort of in the, in an outside church environment that there, I felt sort of a, a gentler, kinder sort of, um, uh, understanding of why, why I didn't do certain things. Mm. And so, um, so it helped me, it helped me a lot. Um, so this never came up on your mission as far as no, I mean, I mean, I, we taught gay men, um, cause I, I served in Houston. And so when I eventually went into the city proper, um, there were a couple of, um, investigators that were, that were gay, um, openly gay and they all got baptized. <laughs> I don't there know if they're go. still, yeah, so I don't, yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, I never really, I just never gave it that much thought in the sense where that's not, um, so it just wasn't, yeah. wasn't anyway, an issue. I was just working just on the mission. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. So you come home and then you, you move on to BYU. Yes. 
And you went there for musical theater. Which, yes. How, how much of that experience has played into your life post-college? I mean, that's what you do for a living. Well, that's what I did for a while. For, so from probably like 9 until 30, musical theater was, was, was my career. Yeah. And um, so I, it was an interesting sort of perspective. I mean, um, view. So I went to BYU and, not, and coming from a non-LDS environment – I actually was r- really thrilled to to come, and then I was sort of shocked in the sense where just my roommates and what everybody else they were just not so LDS as I thought because mm. you know so we had choices um, because let's say if I'd go visit my father in San Francisco and um, it was Sunday and my grandmother would go shop on Sunday I'm like you know nanny you're not supposed to go shop on Sunday she goes well this is what I do you know yeah. like we're well, not supposed to and you know <laughs> so I tell her those things but um, coming to um, or going to BYU, I just saw that wow, there were a lot of people that that live sort of gray. This things, the things that I thought were really sort of commandments that we were supposed to follow, people did it, and the, it seemed as if some some aspects of the church wasn't as important to them. like people didn't go to church that often, and they would go on brunch and that sort of stuff. And then when I um, I went into the musical theater department, and then I eventually became a young young ambassador. And some of the people in Young Ambassadors, I also were friends in California because they were I was part of a musical group out there. Okay. So. But that's when I sort of noticed that there were, I noticed that there were other guys there that were that were probably gay, and they just weren't talking about it, and or it was sort of talked about, but more kind of hush hush in the sense. Or and I don't know, I just kind of understood that there was more out there, uh, more more guys. It, it wasn't really an issue. I also worked at the MTC, so. Um, teacher there it wasn't really an an issue so to speak i just didn't think of i guess i sort of i don't know i started dating a little bit and i dated a a little bit in high school and a little bit in college but nothing overt or nothing nothing that was like the average guy you know they were constantly like every almost every day it seemed like my friends were just going out with these different girls or whatnot and i was just kind of hanging out with the yeah, so so it wasn't still it wasn't something that I really felt that it was um I didn't do it. I hadn't broken any broken any commandments or anything mm-hmm. like that. So there was not much to talk about, but I was beginning to sort of realize now that I was really gay. You know, and that was I was like, "Oh no." This is at BYU yeah, or this after is, you graduated? This is this is shortly probably after my mission. Okay. So it was at BYU in the sense where I, that none of the stuff was going away at all, you know. And so then I was like, "Okay, this is a this is a, this is this could be a problem in the sense where I don't know what to do. And, um, yeah, so that's, so that's when, um, yeah. So, so I just continued. Now I didn't graduate from BYU cause at shortly after and young ambassadors, um, there's lots of different companies that come to audition at BYU and this is sort of at the beginning stages. So I auditioned for, which is no longer exists, um, uh, Opryland and, um, I was cast. And so I was cast in, in such a way where I would work for Opryland Talent, where I would sing backup for um, country singers that needed, like you know, like a, a Reba McIntyre or a Lee, Lee Greenwood, those sort of things. So I decided to to go there immediately, just just leave BYU and and go um, to Nashville. Okay. And so, well, at some point you come to kind of a spiritual fork in the road, where you you are faced with this decision where I either have to choose to live a gay lifestyle actively embrace it whatever you want to call it and or or live a, a covenant lifestyle you make the decision to yeah so well then that's that becomes the great sort of debate within myself for the next let's say um 
for the next six, seven years. So you're in so, Nashville this whole so, time. So now kind of I'm debating in this. Yeah. So now I'm thinking, okay. So probably one of my. So I'm 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 living there with uh, three other guys. Two are members of the church. Um, one is not. One is gay. Um, probably half the cast that I was in doing this one show. There, I would say in musical theater, the joke is sort of like 80% of the guys are gay and 20% are straight. And then in straight theater, with theater without music, like a play, yeah. um, it's reversed. 80% of the guys are straight. Gotcha. Blah, blah, blah. And I don't know why, but um, that's just the way it is. So, um, so yeah, so there was, I mean, basically, and, and there was nothing wrong with being gay. So all of a sudden, now I'm starting to get asked out a little bit, but I'm very religious. And so I'm, I'm sort of trying to straddle this, but now I kind of... Now it's look. Now it's tempting. Now I sort of might want to go out, and it's getting harder and harder and harder to stay active. Partly because now work is involved, and yeah, you know, so all these different things. And I'm getting sort of tired, and so um, yeah, so so I'm going back and forth, and now I'm starting to do. I'm starting to push the envelope. Now I am going out like on dates, quote unquote, um, and so now I'm starting to get very close to the edge of of uh, breaking my covenants and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I so I probably no so I probably had my very first sort of quiet so I would say like relationship there in Nashville. And uh, but not too far that I, I had to go into the bishop to speak to him and it was it was there was no probation but it was close. It was really sort mm-hmm. of close. And then that contract ended and so I was gone. So I was I was out of that. And then I went into another contract shortly after um I went um, on a cruise, entertained on a cruise for a little bit, and then I was in the National Touring Company of a Chorus Line, and that's when I was finally, you know, no, I that's just, it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't I'm, do I'm this. sort of, I've, I'm at sort of like at that point. I haven't made the full decision, but I definitely am in a relationship. Okay, and um, let's see, that ended probably. After the tour ended, probably um, then I, I'd come back to church. So it was kind of this bouncing ball, sort of uh, trying to figure out. Because the whole time I I I was born knowing that the that the church was true in this uh, that um, so I've always had a testimony I've never not known I've never not believed the church was true so I was trying to reconcile how do I figure this out right? yeah and there's no desire um, I I guess I'm one of those guys I just ne- I mean I thought oh marriage is fine but it just it was never that I just never had this overwhelming desire to be married to be in a um, okay and um, but when I'm not active and I'm able to date anybody that I want, feel inclined to, I'm in a relationship pretty quickly. So, um, so that's sort of an interesting dichotomy. But for myself, I think from maybe an outsider, an LDS perspective or friends who, when I'm active, when I've been active in the church, they're like, well, you're just one of those guys that just don't really know what to, I mean, yeah. you're just kind of guys that are fine um, being single. Well, that's for who I am right now, that's, that's the choice that I'm, that that's my only choice right now in that, in that aspect. I'm very comfortable with that. Um, um, I don't oppose people getting married, um, but I, or myself, but I, it's just not something that I think is, um, that either I'm ready for now or that it might be sort of in the cards right now that this, yeah. this might be something and I just don't have any desire for it. So it doesn't seem like, Oh no, you poor thing. You're missing out. Yeah. And you know, and so, um, but I'm. I feel I'm missing out, and I do feel odd at at church. Okay. Because that's you know our our community and our and our culture is is to be married, and that is that is also not even our culture, but it's a, it's our doctrine, right? Yeah. 
And so um, that's, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, I think, when you're trying to figure out and you have no desire to be married. Mm-hmm. And, and especially with a woman, I have tons of women friends and great. I think a lot of my girlfriends thought we were dating, but in my head, I was, they're just you know, friends. You're just and, hanging out. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let me, let, me, okay. let me get back to this idea, though, that you're, you're kind of in the midst of living this lifestyle. And it seemed to me from what you're telling me, that the fact that you were in an environment where it was much more acceptable either pressured you into it or made you feel like that that lifestyle was okay. Well, yeah, and it wasn't even pressure. It was just because I naturally felt this was com- the complete complete natural way that I felt that I could live life. It just, just felt like, more think, comfortable. Yeah, and just like I think um, men and women uh, or, or heterosexual men and women that – to date the opposite sex, that is the most, that that's just a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, since I'm not heterosexual, I, I would think it's the same, I would think it's the same feeling. And so that was the natural course. Now, so it became, yeah, it was more or less, I think also too, I, I realized that these, the people that I was working with or in these environments were just like everybody else, you know, um, uh, they weren't, more evil. They weren't more unhappy. They weren't, there weren't all these other things, which I kind of felt, and which I think is right, you know, to talk about certain very black and white, you know, what is right and what is wrong. But I think when you step out and into the real world, all of a sudden you realize there's a lot of gray out there. And then, um, and that we all can only run as fast as we, as we can. So at this point I wasn't, I was getting less and less happy. And I, and the, and all of my gay friends seemed to be happy. And it was just, and it was a struggle. It was just a struggle. Um, cause I just, I felt like I was the odd man out on, in both fronts. So okay. at church, it was uncomfortable and out of church, it was uncomfortable. So, yeah. So I eventually made the full leap. So I probably had a few relationships, um, before I was 30 and, um, probably put on, on church discipline once or twice. And then, um, at 30, uh, decided to just step away. Like I only really felt like I had two choices. Uh, one to um, also to at the time trying to reconcile. I was putting both like two rods in different boxes and like steel boxes. I would say so on Monday through Saturday I was the rod who I kind of wanted to be, and um, then on Sunday I would put that rod away and then put the Mormon rod. Yeah, and I would go back and forth, and that was and that was exhausting. That was really, really tiring. So I thought I just can't do it anymore. I'm I'm unhappy. I just felt yeah. I felt that my my life wasn't happy, and I was living the gospel, you know, the best that I could. So um, my perspective that I thought that I was unhappy, and everybody else, and, and it seemed like everybody was happy on both sides of the fence. So people were happy in the church, dating and getting married, and that sort of thing. And people out of the church were just as happy dating and getting married, and that sort of thing too. Um, not referring to gay marriage because that wasn't even not that at was, the time. That, yeah, that wasn't even a, an issue at the time. Well, and then, or a topic. And then you kind of, as I understand your story, it kind of compounds then that you get involved with with addiction, drug addiction. Yes. And so I, I mean, I got I got to wonder a little bit how how one kind of goes down that path. It's it's frankly, it's not one that I've gone down. So I, I mean, I've seen people go down it. I, I have family that has, but. How do you go from being a BYU attending MTC teacher, return missionary, to living a gay lifestyle and addicted to drugs? That seems like very different realities. Well, um, the addiction actually didn't come until the very 
end of sort of when I decided for the last time that I think I was done with testing what was so so there was probably a good nine years of not really doing any drugs at all. I mean, outside of Mormonism, I would say recreational drugs are very common. I don't. I wouldn't say I know. They're very, very common. And um, I didn't, at the time, think I had an addictive personality. I mean, I even like, I even hated taking aspirin. I just didn't like taking pills or anything mm. like that. But in retrospect, um, I realized that I did have one as far as like work or um, just other aspects. Um, eventually... It's just part of the normal world. And I didn't like to, I didn't like alcohol. I didn't like other, I didn't like a majority of things. I didn't smoke. Also, was, when I was in theater, that's very precious to you know, take care of your voice. So I didn't do any drugs. Mm-hmm. I didn't smoke. I didn't do any of those sort of things. But when I sort of left that and um, I was sort of free now, it just, it seemed as if I was little by little by little over a 10 year period, I was letting go of a lot of the things um, because uh, that I had been taught was um, that I wish I should how I should discipline my life. Partly too, I think, because the the sort of the crowd that I was attracted to tend to be a little bit more social, um, tend to be a little bit more in New York City of sort of the fashionable sort of celebrity sort of crowd, um, and so and that's the kind. And I think a lot of people, I mean, for me, that's very tempting. The the world is very tempting to me, or it's very. Um, the tabloids and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, no, just kind of, just the, I'm just comfortable in it. And I guess okay. uh, I was talking to a friend uh, earlier this week and um, we, were, we were discussing another person. And and, and one of the things I, 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 sometimes I think, I'm like, gosh, why are these people so sort of, there's an anger to, or, or a, almost a white knuckling to their choices in and out of the church. And, um, and this friend brought up, uh, brought the point of this, that they had, they'd sort of been burned in in one of the church, I mean, in in one of the aspects, either or both worlds, sort of burn them. I've sort of had the opposite, like uh, um, through the disciplinary actions. I mean, I've been disfellowshipped uh, three times, and so I've never been excommunicated. Um, I've had um, my girlfriends were actually sometimes very upset that that you know excommunication didn't happen to me, you know, and I don't really know. Wow. I just, so it's sort of interesting, right? Um, I had, and it seemed like sometimes there were members of the church that were, or some of my friends, especially women, were so almost jealous that that because I lived certain aspects of my life that I didn't get the full punishment. I guess. Um, so, um, do you feel those decisions were inspired? I mean, did when, oh, when totally. those happened? Totally. Okay, so I mean, you can see that. Oh goodness! Did you even see that at the time? Yeah, I mean, at, so I think. And I guess it's probably a little bit of sort of a hot topic within the church, right? Church discipline of like, yeah. and, but I mean, we are disciples and disciples means to be disciplined. Right. And, um, and, and there's, I think there's, there's a, a whole reason. There's, I guess, three major reasons for it, but one is to help the person. One is to, um, also to protect the church and, um, and to protect the innocent. Yeah. Right? And to protect. Yeah. And so the very first time that I had to go through a court, waiting for and i always felt that it was love i didn't really feel like it's a court per se well they don't uh, call it that anymore yeah or what do they call it church it's disciplinary a council, council? okay yeah. so there you go when i went back into the bishop's office and the bishop told me that i was uh, disfellowshipped i could feel it was a little bit of a surprise to me and um i started feeling like my like the blood sort of rising towards my face and i was and it was an interesting sort of perspective i I just kind of shut down for what he said. And then as I came out of his office, and this is in New York City, and this is before, so this is the building where the temple is. Mm. Um, and so 
I'm walking down the hall towards the elevator to leave the chapel, leave the building, and I'm getting more angry every step. And for no other reason, because I mean, I mean, for no other reason that I was just, I think probably just prideful or it was, it was so unexpected. But in, again, in retrospect, that was probably the least that should have happened to me, you know, mm. and, um, and everyone really cared for me and it wasn't necessarily because of, of some type of punishment. It was just to sort of help me, I think, recognize that I had committed to certain, to to, to do certain things. And I sort of just threw those out. Um, because I wanted to live a different sort of commitment. And so that helped me, but I still didn't, I still didn't uh, really understand I think the gravity of, of the situation. It took me a long time. It took me you know, another 10 years after that to sort of really sort of begin to, to understand and see why we're here on earth. And so, and that, so I guess, and that was my biggest issue, but I, but again, I didn't have issues with the church or my testimony. So I'm like, this is also a natural course. So, so I, I might have been angry personally, but I wasn't offended. Okay. Um, and maybe other people might have been be offended by the certain events in my life. But I again, so both both sides in the church and out of the church, I felt very comfortable. And both sides, I've never been offended, and they both were sort of would greet me with open arms. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I guess, maybe that's another reason why I don't sort of like a negative sort of spin on either side. Like, oh, that's the lifestyle, and because um, I'm like, well, none of those people are evil you know i mean are they're, they're what they're doing is not um if if they don't know any other way what why is it you looked upon negative in a negative way or a separate way since we we're all the same you know um that was and i think that that that's that was a huge that's a huge factor which i've realized um why i might be a little bit different is because um, i'm comfortable in both both sort of worlds yeah. and um and i just don't see i guess if someone might do something that's offensive. I just think, oh, well, that's just them. And it's not really me. Yeah. You know, it's just who I am. So as you're going through all these experiences, I'm sure you have all kinds of questions that pop up in your head, a variety of different questions. What were some of those bigger questions and how did you answer them? How did they come to you as, as a faithful answer? So, okay. So, so during, yeah. So, so in this, this kind of, this large block of story that we just were discussing. Um, yeah, we're def- definitely doing the cliff notes. Exactly, version. right? So in that every minute, every day, the question is why? And so I have, I had prayed and fasted. I had, um, I even fasted one time, I think for a whole week. I mean, literally, I almost like passed out towards like the seventh wow. day. So really, really, really try to figure out and, you know, and counsel with bishops, go to therapy. Do I was trying to do everything that I possibly knew the resources were available to me, except for doing any type of LDS support groups. And at the time, I think there was just evergreen and affirmation. Those are the two. Um, I had gone through church social services. I had um, hired my own therapists. Um, and I still just couldn't, um, the questions, I guess the main question was like, you know, why was I, why am I gay? Or, or, or will this, will this leave me or can, and I, and I was told, um, I think by very good inspired and loving um, men and women that, you know, God can do anything. And so for me in the time period that I was going through the, this um, sort of, this sort of wrestle, I was sort of left with the impression that if you just prayed hard enough and did the commandments um, to the best of your ability and almost like perfectly, God would uh, make a miracle happen. And that, um, and so, um, it wasn't happening. And I think that's what happened. So, so now I'm 30 years old and I just couldn't figure out why it wasn't happening. 
And so through all my trial and experience at this, at this point, I'm like, well, it's not going to happen. You know, it's like, I do, or it, like, if I'm not going, if I, I'm choosing now not to endure anymore. And so, and I thought, you know, 30 years is a good shot, you know? And then, <laughs> and, and I've had other people sort of say, well, yeah, you know, I was doing it hard enough. And then I would listen to sometimes um, them, but also I would think, well, you're not inside my head and you don't really know what I do on a daily day basis. And, and I never thought God did not love me. And I didn't think he couldn't answer me because I had many spiritual experiences and I was in elder quorum presidencies and gospel doctrine teaching and, and calling to just a very active, you know, home teaching, home teaching is something very easy for me. So I'd always do my home teaching and help others and that sort of thing. So, but I also didn't really feel comfortable in the church. My majority of my friends were out of the church. Mm. And so I, my social network did not involve, wasn't uh, my spiritual experience within the institutional church was not, I didn't go to church for a social, um, uh, for my social network or my, or, or my group of friends. I had some, um, but and maybe a couple, one or two very, very close LDS friends. Um, but the majority of them, my, my closest friends were all out of the church. I used that against the church because I would go to the church activities and just sit there and roll my eyes. Um, I think, you know, with what you guys are saying or what you're doing, none of that's funny to me. Your, the movie you're watching is not funny. Like, I just, I, I just didn't connect, you know? And, yeah. um, and I think sometimes we do that. We, um, when we're looking for an out, we start looking at what we're, what they're not, or what the the um, an easy way out. Like, okay, you know, here's here's the list. Here are the pros and here's the cons. And for me, at that point, I got the pros to be only well in some future time, in some you know incomprehensible future, um, I'm gonna have some incomprehensible blessing. There you and go. yeah, and 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 that wasn't a motivator for me. I just couldn't. That that wasn't enough to sustain me to continue to sort of white knuckle my life in the sense where just to stay to stay active. Also, um, I I had a really good therapist probably right before I decided to step away. Give me an analogy about of. Um, a swimming pool and let's say f- pool floaty toys. And he says, he goes, let's say um, the swimming pool is life and you have, and, and there's people on the outside of the pool that are your friends, your family, and just the rest of the world. And you're swimming through life and you have, there's all these, uh, there's a floaty chair, there's a beach ball. There's all these different sort of toys in the, in the, in the pool and your homosexuality is a beach ball, and you're so embarrassed by it. You're you're so desperately wanted out of you. You grab the ball and you shove it under the water and you hold it with your hands and you desperately hold that ball. And all of a sudden, I mean, after a while, your your back begins to hurt. Your you know your shoulders begin to hurt. Your arms begin to shake because you just can't withhold that force and um, under the water. And eventually. Even though you're so desperate to keep it hidden, the ball just goes pop, you know, just the um, and just slides out and, 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 and explodes out actually, right? Yeah. So now, so not only are there people that are outside of the pool that might be doing their own little things, everyone now turns and looks at the swimming pool because they see this gush of water and this ball that goes flying up in the air. Yeah. So now I'm even more mortified and embarrassed, and I go chasing after the ball and I shove it back under the water again. And that was sort of my life um, up until that point and 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 the therapist actually said he goes you know I don't know how you're going to do this but what you need to learn to do is to let that ball be a part of all the other floaties in the in the swimming pool and you're just going to swim through life and every now and then a floaty will come and hit you and you'll just kind of push it away if you want to keep you know if you want to keep going on a straight course or if you want to go underneath the water you just 
you know, you push them to the side. Um, the, what you do with mostly all your other issues or your, your things that you don't like or things that you do like. Um, but for some reason, your homosexuality, that beach ball is something that is so you can't, you're fixed on it and you're too embarrassed and you're too, I guess yeah, I'm just too just consumed. Yeah. By just it. consumed by, and I just don't want anybody to know because at this point I think it's wrong. I don't know why I was doing it. I don't, I mean, the perspective is, I think also within, I don't think it's within the church, but it sort of has, I felt that when in a Sunday school class or an in, um, institute or um, over the pulpit in sacrament meeting, when homosexuality or being gay, um, a lot of times you hear, well, love the sinner, but hate the sin. Right. And from a, I'm not a psychologist, but from a, from a, a, a psychological, a, a psychological, thank you, <laughs> a perspective, it's impossible for your brain to do that. You can't look at a person and cut them in half and think of them as binary individuals. Um, you can't love them and hate them at the same time. We even hear that scriptures. You can't, you know, it's mammon and God. So you can't love and hate two people at once because you're going to kind of, you're going to choose one or the you're other, choose one or the other. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I felt that was sort of it. So I began to sort of, I, I hated being gay when I was at church. I hated people saying, well, why aren't you married yet? Or what about this person? Or what about that person? Um, I also hated stepping out of the church and and feeling sort of a loss of the spirit, feeling, um, um, knowing that 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 what I was doing was not what I had agreed to. and And having sort of a deep sort of understanding that, the gospel and the principles and the ordinances are vital and they're important. And I just couldn't figure out how I could do that and how I could make it work. And it, and so I just, I just was stumbling through and then I just got tired. I just, I, I can't make it work. I can't figure this out. Can't and, keep the beach ball underneath yeah. the water. And so, and that's, so that's what happened. So then I just let it go. And, um, and then I stepped away for 10 years. And so within that time period, it might have been one or two times that I've come. I I came back to church, um, most of the time after a breakup. And so I had a five term, a five year relationship. I had a couple of two year relationships and one year relationship. I dated a lot. I did um, just I, and I was there was a sense of fulfillment and happiness in certain aspects, and and especially at the beginning, um, and, and and things that were very overt to me. So sort of when I made this choice, that's kind of when I was ending my acting career and my acting just got a hundred percent better. Hmm. And, and then, um, I'd come back, let's go back to church or whatnot. And then they'd say, I, I get into a relationship again and now I'm in a different career and that career starts to soar when I'm inactive. And, and I was, I was like, no, I wasn't saying that God was blessing me or not blessing me or Satan was blessing me and, you know, not blessing me. But what I what I was, what I couldn't probably comprehend at the time that when I seemed to be a little bit more true to who I was, I seemed to be more free in, in all aspects of myself. But when I was trying to hide or push that beach ball under the water, it affected even the good things about me. And so then, and what that psychologist basically was saying is that you just got to be a part of you. Living or, or stepping away from the church helped me to sort of be okay with being gay, but I still was not okay with it in the halls of the church. Uh, just because I just felt that everyone thought I was just, um, a bad person, you know, that I was, I was choosing evil and there was, I mean, and there, and I can tell you that, I mean, I never chose this and I, and this is, I think 
what most people need to really understand if if they think that people choose homosexuality, why? Why in the world would someone really choose, especially when you're 10, especially when, and I'm not speaking just for myself, but I just don't know anybody. And even my, uh, my closest gay friends, we've talked about this before, nobody wants to be gay when you're 10, 11, 15 years old. You don't want it. Um, because first of all, you're, you're different, you know? And so for me, it was even more, it, it just, it just sort of compounded the difference. So, you know, um, I went to high school in Sacramento, the high school had 4,000 students. There were maybe 15 Mormons. So, um, you know, we were the odd, weird people coming in. So I had early morning seminary, this beat up station wagon. And, you know, it was like a, like a, like a circus, uh, uh, VW bug. So everyone, like, you know, 15 people are piling out of it yeah. and we're being made fun of that sort of stuff. So it was just another oddity. So, you know, and I just did not want to feel odd. I didn't want to feel sort of out of the circle. And that, that was, that is a big issue for me is feeling not a part of a group. Sure. So for me, not being burned by either one of those sides, um, wasn't the issue. It was feeling that I wasn't included in either one of those sides because the Two things that were very real to me, my sexual identity and also my spiritual understanding were without almost a doubt of, of the validity of them and the reality of them, but how to make that work. Yeah. And there's this conflict that, that seems to be like, how do you ever fix, you know, get past this or fix it or whatever you want to call it, but how do you remedy that? But eventually you came to a point in your life where you decided to, to come back into activity. What were some of the things that led into that? And so, and that's where I, the drug addiction, I see that. And, um, I don't want any of your listeners to think that you have to do any of this stuff to, to, uh, to get <laughs> this isn't the prescription, right? <laughs> yeah, this is not the prescription, but for, for me, it was a prescription for Rod Olson. I, I, I think the Lord was always trying to help me understand, but I was asking wrong questions. Um, and I, I was not really, I thought I understood the reason why, why I came here to in mortality. Um, but I really did it. I thought it was more about restrictions and commandments and, uh, about being obedient and sacrificing, but sort of sacrificing on the, um, of sort of the negative way. Like, you know, just, you can't do this and you can't do that and that sort of thing. So what happened was I kept, I think I kept making choices and I kept going each time coming back, going further and further and further sort of away from the church. And that's when the addiction came. And so, I got to the point where I was sort of, the relationship had gone bad. We both were addicts. I, I lost my job. I spent all my money. I just, I so my whole life, there wasn't much left at that point. And so I decided to go to a 12-step meeting. I, I did want to change, but I didn't really think about coming back to church. And um, So it was more about getting off drugs yes, yeah. than returning to any kind of spiritual center. Yes, because because I also need to say here, I never really untethered myself to the church. So again, since so since I believed that the church was true, um, this is when LDS.org just started. So I would you, you couldn't watch conference at the time, or it'd be little. It would it would always you know disconnect or whatever you know. And, but but I I was always connected through LDS.org. I read the enzyme. I even um, uh, for me I. The only commandment I really kept was I paid my tithing. I know that's weird, but um, one thing I did find that it was mm. interesting is that people that I know that have stepped away from the church that have a testimony, they seem to tether themselves somehow. They keep 
uh, some type of connection. And I think for me, um, I had a testimony of that, and I I learned that through um, through my mother and through sort of so the divorces and, and the importance of, of paying tithing. So I just always felt that if I always pay tithing, the Lord would always be there for me. So that was something that I did, and um, which is kind of true, wasn't it? Yeah, completely. And and I do think all this experience for me was teaching me. And I do feel sort of blessed that the Lord gave me a lot of things that I asked for. I really wanted a musical theater career. I had one. I really wanted to be successful in advertising, and I was able to be successful there. And I wanted relationships with uh, certain type of people, and I was able to get those. And so I felt that, um, I think in retrospect now, I think a little bit charred, I mean, a little bit of the Lord was giving me as much as he could. Um, And what it was doing is... I thought I was being blessed, but the Lord was showing me and teaching me um, that those things weren't, they didn't fulfill me. They Or it wasn't necessarily, they were real, but it was something that I, it wasn't lasting. Everything kind of failed. So the 12-step program, the first day that I went um, and and they started talking about how you can go about to become sober, I was shocked because it was literally the gospel. Um, in every aspect, it was you know yeah. it, was, it was faith, it was um, repentance, it was um, service, and it was missionary work, and it was accountability. It was every single thing that I had been taught and knew to be true. And I thought this, I thought, wow, this is shocking. And so, so I, I sort of took to that, and I um, again because I'm an addicted sort of person, you know, I did instead of ninety meetings in ninety days, I did hundred and eighty meetings. I went to two meetings a day, and um, really got into that. And so. That was sort of my beginning to, I really hit sort of a rock bottom where I really didn't have much and I had to rely on God. And then all of a sudden, I'm thinking the only way that it appears that most people um, make their life, can clean their life up out of addiction is this 12-step program. And this 12-step program is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way that I understood it. Within about a year of that, then all I, I've, I've, because of LDS.org, I, I read a blurb somewhere, maybe in the New York Times at the... The church started a new program called ARP, which yeah. was connected with AA. So at the time, I was living not too far from the the church had built a building on 16th Street, 16th and 6th. So I decided to go to that meeting just because I went to so many meetings. I just this would be one of my meetings, and um, that started the process. And I, so in time, so I, I attended those meetings with no intention of coming back to the church, and uh, eventually made my way back. What AA taught me was about going back to that beach ball um, anal- uh, anal- analogy. <laughs> um, it taught me how to learn to let go of that ball. Um, I had always wanted to be like King Lamoni and say, you know, I will give all my sins to know to know Thee to the to the Lord, and I couldn't figure out what that meant. I couldn't figure out how do you give away yourself? Like, how do you really do that? How do you give? How do you give your sins to God's yoke? Because it's you know his his burden is easy and his yoke is light, right? And and what does that all mean, you know? And and how do I do that? And for me, in retrospect, now I realized that the Lord was answering my prayers, and line upon line and precept upon precept, um, I was learning by opposition how to do that, and it culminated to that 12-step program, because one of the first things you have to do is let go. 
And one of the the phrases they have is let go and let God. And and one of the first things you have to learn to do, and I, I realized that it was connected to pride, thinking that I knew everything and thinking that I had done everything. Or enough. that you could do it yourself, right? Yeah. Yes. And that and but still hoping for God to do some type of miracle and realize that maybe the miracle that I was looking for, I guess what I was really the pride part of it was that I was telling God how to control my life. I was telling God what to do, what miracle I needed, and how I wanted it to happen. And I had, I now had learned that I needed to step back and just be okay with who I was. Um, and so I sort of accepted that. Wow. So I'm an addict, and I'm, a, you know, I'm gay, and I'm also an addict, and those things are okay. I'm not a horrible person. And then it, so. That began, that helped me, and that was actually letting go and to know that I was um, going to be fine with those two things and I could function. And, and, and in AA, they talk about you stay long enough to, to see the miracle happen, the miracle meaning that you become sober and that your life changes. So the miracle for me was that I was beginning to understand what mortality was about. And for me, I see mortality as... Very, it's very simple, but it's just it's difficult. And the simplicity for me is that it's about obedience and sacrifice. I see that. I feel like Adam and Eve, when they're in the garden, since they broke or they transgressed one of the laws, in order for that, in order for them to return back to the presence of our Father in heaven, a new law had to be instituted, and that's the law of obedience and sacrifice. And so, all of a sudden, I stopped looking at my temptations, the opposition, and my agency as something that was negative. I understood like, wow, I'm always going to have this and it's supposed to have this because I'm ultimately being asked to choose who am I going to be loyal to? And am I going to be loyal to myself? Am I going to be loyal to somebody else? Or am I going to be loyal to God? And um, and how do I show God that I love him? I don't, I've, I've yet to find in any scripture, I mean, any other, anywhere in scripture that the only, that there's no other way but to be obedient. Is if you love me, keep my commandments. So then through this process of becoming sober and, and having sort of this new perspective, all of a sudden the chains and the negative aspect of the commandments began to, um, to loosen up. And I realized that they weren't restrictions. And I also realized, and, and what helped me do that too is, you know, as I started to stop obeying my covenants, I had new worries, new anxieties that I never understood. And I remember having certain aspects, uh, let's say leaving, um, after breaking the law of chastity and leaving and, and heading to work and, and the work was going to be very, very busy and whatnot, thinking to myself, not only do I have the stresses of life, oh my gosh, this is what the average person has. I have all these other stresses. Like, you know, there's, there's repercussions um, um, that... That could be actually deadly, or that could at least, um, you know, that I might have to go to a doctor. There could be, there's all these different things that um, that I never had to worry about before. I mean, I've had heartache because of breakups, you know, that I that I never understood before what that was like. I was like, oh, now I know why all those sappy songs exist because, <laughs> right. you know, all those different things. So I had learned all these different aspects. And what I had also, the biggest thing that I learned is that nobody can, can fulfill me but the Lord. And that I'm not going to probably have, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have all the answers here. I still don't know why I'm gay. I'm completely comfortable being gay. I don't think, um, I think for me, my homosexuality is teaching me things that I could 
that for me that I needed to learn immortality that I could not have learned any other way. I wish I could have learned that mortality is about those three things, opposition and agency and temptation a lot sooner. But for Rod Olson, it, it, it took me this long and I had to go through those experiences. I don't think the Lord wanted me to. He kept trying to help me, as like I said, as as I would constantly go or try to repent um, my the discipline that the Lord was giving me through his servants was becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. And yet none of that pushed me um, to see things differently. And for me, the addiction and the sort of that 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 very low, low aspect, I call that my angel. I literally feel like um, that was the angel that um, Alma the Younger and the Sons of Mosiah had, it, it, or Paul. It sort of woke me up, and I realized that there was nowhere else to go. Um, I really, that, the scripture, when, when Christ turns to um, Peter and asks, you know, as the 5,000 left, will you leave me too? Because the doctrine was so hard. Uh, Terrell Givens, Terrell and Fiona Givens have says, says it really well. This, um, I think, in the Crucible of Doubt, that says, um, not that the the twelve or or Peter's fear was any different. He was just as shaken up as probably the other five thousand. That wow, this doctrine is so hard. Like, what do um, what do you mean? I can't even think about these things in my head. Um, but he was committed, and that he said, "Well, where else do we go? You have the words of life," and that is sort of my answer now. In after all this, what I've just said, the reality of why I'm here is because there's nowhere else to go. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has the priesthood authority. It has the authorized or the permission to bear the name of the Savior. And um, and because of that, this is his institution and he is watching it. I think he is his, he's personally involved. I've learned to sort of just step back and be a part of the community and realize the life that I live now it's not as fun. I have less friends, uh, you know, but um, there is a, that my life is easier, much more manageable, and it's become much more worthwhile. I learned more about myself and I've learned that um, uh, life is much better when you stop trying to, to worry about, you know, where, what's, who you're going to date, where, what vacation you're going to go on, what job you're going to have. Am I going to get X amount of dollars? Can I go to all these benefits? Um, you know, am I going to be asked to perform here or whatever it might be, or to work on a different, um, account or do whatever, whatever, whatever you're looking for. I think those things are, are worthy goals, but those goals do not ultimately, those goals are not the reason why we're here. And so I have sometimes a hard time when people say, well, you know, they're not satisfying. Well, they did satisfy to a certain degree, but that's not the reason why I'm here. And so um, I really have understood that that perspective has changed everything of how I look at life. So though I don't have the answers for everything, when I've realized that, you know, now we're, we're told in section 101 that the Lord says we're going to have all the answers when he comes. But until then, we have to live by faith. And we're even told that we're not going to have a fullness of joy here. Um, our fullness of joy is in the Savior. And then we will have it when he's here. So, so my hope and my faith is in in the Savior. And I realize that you know I'm not going to I'm I'm not as happy in certain aspects. I'm much more happy in other aspects. And the the worth to stay and to to step out of myself and to help and to be a part of the community and the community that I know to be true and and um, that that ultimately has the ability to tell us really why we are here has 
drastically changed me. And 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 all of my friends that are not members of the church are are interested that they they've come. I, I was in California. I was with a ward mission leader, and we had a couple of people join the church. That gay men joined the church. Didn't know anything about the church. Um, we've had other gay men that were had left the church for years. Um, come back to the church. I've had friends come to church with me, come to activities, people that adamantly hated the church for myriad of different reasons because I think of just who I am in the sense where I just don't think anybody is ultimately bad and that we're all just the right. We all need to live with each other and we all need to see each other as truly our brothers and sisters, that we all can participate in some aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some full, you know, full more fully than others, like myself, I, I um, realize that I may not, as Elder Christensen talked about in general conference, that I may not be able to have the ideal life that is sort of laid out there on the scriptures. Um, I also, from my perspective, didn't have the ideal uh, uh, what, a conversion story. I didn't get an angel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, and so, um, but I, but I did convert. Yeah, you know, I've had a conversion story. I've had many, many experiences that have that let me know that the, that this is the true church of Jesus Christ. Um, and so that is, uh, that has been, that is the whole reason why I'm able to stay active. I've been active for about nine years. I've been sober for 10 and, uh, I've just learned really why I'm here. And once I know why I'm here, then nothing else really matters to me. I don't really, whatever commandment comes down the pipeline, so to speak, or, or our practices or our doctrine might little shift a little bit or, or whatever, whatever, whatever happens or whatever is basically whatever the Lord hasn't, has in store for his people and for the world. I'm, I'm comfortable with, because I realize that those things don't matter to me. What matters is just that I'm here to be loyal to our father in heaven. And that will just help me able to live a life that he lives because I've, I believe that anybody who lives with him has to live similar or has to live the way he lives. And he's a God of love and he loves us all. And anything that we're doing and everything that we might see as a trial or as a deficit, um, it's there for a reason because he loves us and he wants us to, to try to use that deficit or that as a tool to help us to become better and, and, and to grow and then to help others. Yeah. So are there resources that are out right now that you would recommend or even some that you would wish you had had earlier in your life that uh, that you could mention here now for people that maybe not just those that consider themselves or identify as being gay, but maybe those that are related to or friends with someone? Yes. I mean, I, I've sort of become a little bit more involved with North Star. So the North Star group I find uh, to be, um, for me, one of the, the best resources out there that you can feel comfortable living within the framework of, of, of uh, the gospel. And, and, and there's, there's resources there. There's books. You can get therapists. There's the support groups throughout the United States. Um, I'm going to participate. They have an annual conference. We're going to participate in that this week. Um, and I would say that's that and LDS, I mean, uh, uh, mormonsandgays.org. Um, I, I do think we should, um, it's, we should stop looking at, at homosexuality as it and, and realize that you're going to be okay and that you will, you can live the gospel fully um, and completely um, be a part of the community. It's just going to be a little bit more unique. What the brethren have done 
and as far as like Mormons and gays.org and the amount of, uh, the amount of time they've spent on talking about this issue, even though I know it's very political, but, um, how, what a blessing it's been to, to see that, you know, there's just a handful of us and the, and the, and they are mindful, um, of, of all of us. And so, um, I think, I do think Elder Christopherson's talk, the, this, this general conference was really good. It's just to be a little more gentle, just know that you can only run so fast and that just because you can't do certain aspects that other men that identify as SSA or whatever, they might be, um, married, very happily married and with children, um, that may not be your ideal situation and that's okay too, or that might be your ideal situation. Okay. Well, those are good sources for sure. And, and, Thank you very much for coming in. Do you, do you kind of consider your story or your experience a, a pioneer kind of experience in some ways? Pioneer experience. Well, I, I'm learning a that modern I, pioneer. <laughs> maybe I do think people that are my age, um, I'm a little envious of, of anybody coming up because what I, what I what I what I do find so refreshing is that the people that are my age and older that have that that are either have returned to the church or have stayed active. We've all come to the same conclusion without sort of these resources on our own. Um, and then uh, I do think sort of, I guess, my perspective and my experience I'm learning is very different from a lot of other LDS um, perspectives. So I guess there, there's been a little bit of a pioneer sort of um, aspect. You're trailblazing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you'll, you'll I don't it. really, see that. Uh, but yeah, but it's been unique. It's I, I think um, I think there's there's much more resources and there's there's no way there's no reason to step away. Um, and I would say that's my other recommendation is um, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So if there's certain aspects of the gospel that you feel you can't live, that's okay for right now. But if there are other aspects of the gospel that you do like, um, try to stay committed to those. And instead of um, giving up everything, um, just remember when you read the scriptures and when you pray and when you do service, but don't stop with the scriptures and don't stop with the praying and don't stop with the community that you do like. Because if you do, one of the things that AA taught me is that we have to be humble enough to realize that there are certain aspects of, of or certain temptations and opposition that we face that we don't have power over that it will win it will totally win the battle and that's okay it's okay that that i can say you know what i can't do this anymore i can't hang out with these kind of with these people anymore i can't be in this situation um that's all that's that's okay and if you put yourself in these in positions that you know that you're really that you know you shouldn't do but you really sort of are attracted to it but it's against your belief system um it's okay to step away from those because you're not going to win just to be careful, which, what you want, what you think you want. Um, and if you go after the things that you think you want, just make sure you keep the other things that you know to be true. And, um, you know, again, I would recommend the scriptures, staying close to LDS.org, um, doing things that you can, that, that you know, that is right. And, um, you will continue to fill the spirit and, and in time you will learn. You know, you, you will learn um, uh, what is right for you, what you can do, and what you can offer the Lord, and the Lord will bless you. He loves you so much. Well, thank you again for coming in. I know uh, I know that you probably told this story before to other people, and so I hope you're not tired of telling the story. But thank you again for coming in and, and sharing your experiences, sharing your wisdom your and your knowledge with us. 
Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan. I've been uh, <laughs> I've been listening for a long time. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Fair Mormon, and um, yes. Yeah, so so thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rise Up. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes under the name Mormon Faircast. Questions or comments can be posted at blog.fairmormon.org in conjunction with this episode. Tune in each week for another episode of Rise Up. Thank you for listening.